In your marriage, is sex more about quantity or quality? Welcome to the Only You Forever podcast. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you've been looking for. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Verlinda Simone Gendel. Hey everybody, this is episode number 12, and we're going to be unpacking the meaning and purpose sex should have in our marriages. So this is great for couples, likely not so great if you have the kids, you might want to pause now and pick this one up later when they're in bed. Yeah, for sure. So one stereotype is that men just want it all the time and women don't. What's that all about? Well, there's a lot of factors that do come into play here. When we're thinking about the frequency, the quality or the quantity of sex, body image is in there, anxiety is in there, there's menstrual cycles in there, social cues from the world around us, different influences that come in, messaging from television and popular media. So all these things kind of come into play. But I found one study from 1989 by Byers and Heinlein, and they found that men initiated sex more than women. So that's probably not a huge surprise. But they did undo one cultural stereotype, and they found that men and women respond the same percentage to those initiations. So... Men initiate more. If they initiate 10 times, they might get rejected five times. But if a woman initiates twice, she might get rejected once. Right. Okay. So it's the same rejection rate, but because of the higher initiations, men perceive that women are more likely to to reject them. Yeah. So if you experience greater sexual satisfaction in your marriage, there's more initiations that happen. Okay. That was part of that study. But if you're less sexually satisfied, you're more likely to refuse an initiation. So mutual satisfaction, what I learned from that is that that mutual satisfaction, that's one purpose for sex. It's to bring that, it's it's both mutual and it's satisfaction. Bring that to marriage. Okay. Yeah. So there was another study I came across from 1981. So it was kind of funny doing the research on this because most of the time when you look at sex in couples in the research, it's mostly oriented at the college population right now because of all the issues there with uh, promiscuity and particularly sort of the whole idea of of rape or uh, men taking advantage of women on campuses and that type of thing. Oh, so okay. that just the, the sex culture that's present there right now. So that's fine. So it was hard to actually find a lot of stuff on initiation and marriage and how sex starts and what that means to people. Just to clarify, it's fine that all this is happening on college campuses or it's fine that that's where the research is and we just have to work with that? No, sorry. Yeah, the latter. Okay. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of articles that I could find. But uh, Brown and Auerbach in 1981, they did note an increase in initiation by wives of about 1% per year. So when we're talking about sex starting and initiating, we're, we're kind of getting back to this purpose and meaning bit that's in behind it, saying why why do men start more than women? And now I'm saying, here's a study that's saying, well, wives increase the amount that they initiate every year. Oh, okay. So that's due to changes in sex drive. Over time, as a couple ages, the male's sex drive goes down, the wife's or the female's goes up. Oh, okay. Yep. And that may be reflected in that along with increasing confidence, yeah, and comfortableness, just initiating sex. Hmm. Okay. So when when we get into this topic, I just want to segue over to key Bible passage that deals with issues of equality and gender roles in sex. Because what is the meaning of sex in a marriage if the husband always wants it, it seems like or feels like, and the wife never does, which I think is a fairly common perception. Right. So here's the passage. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And so that's the 
discrete language of the Bible saying he should be physically intimate. Yep. He should give her those rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So that's 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verses 3 to 5. So those verses, it's even talking about um, like preservation. Like what's the point of sex anyways? Well, it preserves you in a marriage. Mm-hmm. It's like protection from... Going outside the marriage for it. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So some of the key points we want to take away from this are, first of all, in our world, we're really big on having certain rights. Mm-hmm. Well, here it's saying you don't have this rights or you need to give these rights to your spouse. So we have a right. responsibility towards mutual yielding to giving something to our spouse. And marriage and sex are both wonderful facilities in revealing how selfish we can be. Right. I give up exclusive rights to me and I share them with you. And the, like both people are doing that. Right. Yeah. In the context of marriage. So that's an act of selflessness. That's right. So that act then, that sex will lose its meaning when I stop giving and I act selfishly. So remember, this is the question that we started with. What's the point of sex anyways? What's the purpose? What's the meaning behind it? Well, sex loses its meaning when I stop giving and it's all about getting and I'm acting selfishly. So one neat thing right off the bat in this passage is it's really driving our minds toward a sense of otherness, not selfishness. Giving. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So what about like our culture that teaches men in particular that they have a right to ejaculation? Like I need sex. Yeah. What that's where I, I say that we need to think about those rights differently. So what you have the right to, according to God, is to mutual giving in the context of absolute equality. So this verse these passages uh, doesn't give a preference to men over women or to women over men. Mm-hmm. It's very, very equal in this giving to one another. And that is what we have the right to is to give. We don't have the right to keep or to take. Hold back, withdraw, or... use sex for power. So sometimes people That's ask, well, wrong. it is, but you can ask the question, who has, which partner or which spouse has the most control in the marriage? And the sarcastic answer from the, the world of therapists is the one who wants sex the least. And yet that's so right. true. Right. Yeah. In a sense, is it not? Yeah. So when we, we shift our thinking towards this sense of mutuality and me giving rather than being a focus on getting, then there's a real shift in how we build meaning in, into physical intimacy in our marriage. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, before we move on, there's a little sidebar on this, right? So this passage talks about sex and it says nothing about procreation. So that by virtue of that silence, I think it really validates the idea or the truth that God made us sexual creatures, not only for procreation, but also for pleasure. And I think that's where we we start moving forward to one of the next things about what the point of sex is, that there is this very intense, very intimate, this very mutual intimacy that involves pleasure in a way that we don't experience it in any other situation. Yeah. Other than in the context of of sex. Okay. Well, some people have the question, and um, just to tie back to this age-old curiosity, how often do married couples have sex? Yeah. Why do we look for benchmarks? Like, what does it really matter? Well, maybe the question should be is what, what's the meaning of how frequently or infrequently we have sex? And why we have sex this amount? Yeah. So let's say, what if our listeners, what if some of our listeners, what if we give them a number? And if they're having sex less than that, what does that mean about their marriage? Well, it, 
It could it mean, could a mean whole nothing, bunch of, but it, it might mean a lot. Exactly. So there's a very individual component here for each couple to, to stop and think about. So there could be a ton of meaning of that. But just for our curiosity, Greenblatt in 1983 did some survey, and he found that in the first year of marriage, three quarters of the couples were having sex more than twice a week. Okay. After six years, they were having sex one and a half times a week. But one consistent issue that they reported related to the frequency going down was just exhaustion. So going from both spouses working to mom raising the kids, dad works longer hours to compensate, try to make more money to maintain the life, the lifestyle, mm-hmm. and so on. But at the same time, what he found with that was interesting. So even though exhaustion came in and generally speaking, the rates went down, people often reported that the physical insta- intimacy was more relaxed and they were more focused on quality than quantity. And other types of intimacy were coming in there as well. So just because the numbers declined doesn't mean things were bad. It doesn't mean necessarily at all that there was a problem in the marriage. Hmm. Yeah. So when we think about how, how frequently we're having sex or not having sex, as the case may be, you know, there may be a great deal of meaning to that. And that's for a, you know, a couple to discuss. Mm-hmm, for sure. But at the same time, there can be very real outside factors And maybe just the priorities have shifted and it's more of a quality experience now than a quantity one. Yeah. Yeah. It's not necessarily bad. Other things that affect frequency, a little bit more research, it just changes over the course of life. So as life changes, we go through different phases and different things come up, it changes. But one of those greatest influencing factors is age and the decrease of physical intimacy. As we get older, it happens less frequently. That's normal. So not necessarily intimacy, but... Physical. Physical, like sex. sex. Okay. And the second factor that plays a role is marital happiness. So again, we come back to the idea that if if the the amounts of sex going down, what am I trying to say? When the frequency is decreasing, it may be an indication that marital happiness is decreasing. Okay. But it could just be as equally, as we said before, an indication that (laughs) people are tired and this is, you're raising little babies. That's tiring. Yeah. Yeah. When you're getting up in the middle of the night. And yeah. so on, right? So there's some very practical things here. So pregnancy, small children in the home, all those things affect that frequency of how often sex happens. But when we think about this subject of the meaning of sex and how to bring that back into the fabric of our marriage, that whole sense of meaning around that, one of the questions we really need to ask is why do married couples have sex ideally? So what are the best reasons for having sex? Mm-hmm. And Kind of in behind that is this other question, well, what beliefs make for great sex? Because if those are beliefs are in place, I think the frequency will hit a healthy level that is natural for you as a couple. It's at, for where you are in life. Yeah. It's going to be normal, right? Yeah. So here's, here's three things to think about. First one is shared pleasure. So that's giving and that's the mutuality and that's the not depriving one another that we read about in that Bible passage. Yeah. And the second one it's a means to deepen and reinforce intimacy. So think about how differently the experience will be shaped by this belief that it's for deepening and reinforcing intimacy over the belief that it's a means to an end or just a way to get relief from being horny. Right. And this kind of what you said in another podcast, it's not just having sex, it's making love. Right. Like it's a little bit of a mind shift. Yeah. So think about the meaning that you associate with, with the intimacy in your sex. Is it, is it really just an animal act mm-hmm. or is there something deeper happening, even something spiritual happening there? And sex also very practically is a way to reduce the tension of life stresses. It's a sacred, secure, and loving experience. So 
in sex, there's, there's elements of nurturing, or I should say in making love, of safety, of being totally vulnerable. And there's this real powerful brain chemistry that happens along with the, the release of endorphins, those, the happy drugs that your body naturally produces mm-hmm. that really reinforce the positivity and the sense of nurturing and togetherness that occurs when making love. So after that stressful day, it's almost like a reassurance that, you know, it's, this is okay. Things are okay. Yeah. It's the safe be harbor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So what should sex look like? Well, simply then just from those, number one, I think it should be intimate. Is that too obvious? <laughs> no, that's, yeah. Okay. What does intimate mean? What does intimate mean? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the fears of intimacy in the last three podcasts. Yeah. What is intimacy? I think that in this, in the context here, like intimacy is being able to be completely vulnerable and feel accepted. Be safe in it. Yeah. Okay. It'd be hard for me to think of something more vulnerable than sex. Yeah. And making love. And so there's this tremendous opportunity to feel accepting, to express love, to express giving, to show you a desire, to show our spouse a desire to pleasure them mm-hmm. and to appreciate them and to wonder over them. Okay. So intimacy and kind of tied to that, it should look like as well, the giving of pleasure. Not, Not just demanding or selfish. Right. But giving. Yeah. And number three, it should have elements of eroticism too. And What is that? Well, I like the Wikipedia definition on that. The aesthetics of sexual desire, sensuality, and romantic love. So it should be romantic. Yep. And desirous. So sometimes these things are all going to flux. And in, in if you think about three things on like the little lights on your stereo when they're going up and down in the different wavelengths, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes there might be a very strong sense of sensuality, other times very strong romantic love, other times extreme sexual desire. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, that creates some variety in sort of the flow of sex as it happens in a marriage. Good. So hopefully that's given us some a little bit for our listeners to think about. Mm-hmm. The meaning, the purpose of sex and marriage, what our, what our physical intimacy, what your physical intimacy looks like now, and hopefully created opportunity for discussion. Yeah, that's what we want. Giving you some research, some good biblical truth about how to think about mutuality in the sexual part of our marriages. And now the next step is learning to discuss it. Learning to discuss it. And I think too, I'm going to give our listeners just a real practical tool here. So a lot of times, for whatever reason, when we're couples, despite the fact that there's all this intimacy and vulnerability, it's awkward or sometimes difficult to initiate sex and think about the meaning of that. So one thing is to get a quick read on each other. Just ask your spouse on a scale of one to 10, how amorous are you feeling this evening or today or whatever the time might be? And maybe one person's like, wow, I'm a seven. And the other one's like, ah, I'm a one. Sorry. You know, I had a horrible day or whatever. How about tomorrow night? So try oh, to okay. try to keep that sense of giving in there to give them an alternative. Don't just reject and say no. Right. But yeah. I think it's also incumbent on the partner that has asked or is initiating to not personalize the rejection. Mm-hmm. Because... And be respectful of their response. Yeah. They might have a very valid reason for saying no. Yeah. If they're one, give them a back rub. Help them to go to bed earlier. You know what I mean? Like by mm-hmm. doing some other household chores or whatever. So we can really facilitate and learn to serve each other in other ways and show intimacy outside of physical intimacy that yeah. supports each other. Absolutely. Even when we're not having sex. 
Okay. All well, good? Yeah. Let's head over to our question segment now. And now for our Q&A section. Remember, if you'd like to ask us a question, you can email it to questions at onlyyouforever.com or please leave us a voicemail at onlyyouforever.com slash questions. So we have a question here. How important is it for a marriage to have another good couple as friends from Anonymous? Oh, yeah. Another Anonymous? Yeah. Well, we don't just make these up, hey? This did come from a listener. All right. Yeah. So how important is this question? Or no, not how important this question. How important is it to have another good couple as friends in a marriage? I think it's very important. Why is that? Because it normalizes life. Like, it's really important to have your own friends, but it's good to have shared friends as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't, but I don't think you have to have like 100% best buds on both sides of the relationship. So it's okay for me to be friends with a guy, even if you're not as strongly friends as with his wife. Right. But you need to get along. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, to me, the question is almost like, how or is it important to have friends? But it kind of takes it to the next level, which is shared friends. Yeah. And... To me, there's an extra layer of meaning there when there's just good mojo all around. Like when you have four people and it's couple to couple and there is that extra sense of closeness, friendship. That's a good thing. Yeah. But does a couple have to have it? Like how important is it that they have that couple to couple? Well, I don't think it's essential to marriage, but I think it's helpful and healthy. Okay. Yeah. That's what I would say. So I would say maybe we can help this questioner. By asking the question, well, how do you find another couple to be friends with like this? Yeah. How do you find them? How do you find these friends? Well, think in the box and outside of the box a little bit, right? So are there people out there in the same stage of life of us? Or maybe are there people in a different stage of life that you can still be friends with? So there there can be some pretty strong friendships. They may not be typical with another couple that's in a different stage of life. Right. We've, We've had close friends with no kids, but similar age to us when we had three kids. Yeah. So they were kind of... Same age group, different phase, right? Yeah. And I think we've had older couple that we're friends with too. Absolutely. And couples in the same stage of life, obviously. Yeah. So don't be stuck in a right that you need to find the perfect match. Right. For this, for for good friends. But having similar availability and relative ease of access to each other, our closest couple friendship was with a couple that lived a block away. And uh, he and I even worked together for a couple of years and really enjoyed that friendship. Yeah. And still appreciate them very much as friends. Yeah. And sometimes I think too, like, say you're close to somebody, mm-hmm. I just need to set aside some differences. Mm-hmm. Maybe I have totally dissimilar interests, mm-hmm. but rather than look at that as a negative, like that could just make us more interesting to each other Yeah, and find out and work around it. Yeah. So even that couple we talked about, like he was very athletic and, um, you know, very musical mm-hmm. and I enjoy being fit, but I'm not athletic and not didn't have any musical skills or talents to bring to the relationship. So there were some differences there, but we still were able to really connect. Yeah. Hopefully that's a little bit of help to you on that question. And uh, if you have more, do remember to send them in to questions at onlyyouforever.com. So we want to shout out a huge thank you to those who left us reviews on iTunes recently. Come in from DB Mass in the U.S. and from Dustin also in the U.S. So thank you so much, guys. It really makes our day to see those positive reviews on iTunes. Yeah, we do appreciate your encouragement. So that's all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at onlyyouforever.com slash 12. 
Remember, we're here to help build thriving, passionate marriages. So send us your marriage questions in to questions at onlyyouforever.com. Thank you for listening to the onlyyouforever.com podcast. Please help us reach and influence a wider audience by rating and reviewing our podcast at onlyyouforever.com slash love. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.